Uh, it's good to be together today, and we have been trekking through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we are in the um, sixth and final chapter of the book, and yet there's still so much yet to unpack before us. And so um, I pray that uh, God would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would allow his word to influence us, uh, equip us, and uh, empower us really to, to live the life that Christ uh, has called for us to live, uh, one that brings him glory and uh, one that is uh, the fulfilling design that God's laid out for us. And so um, it's interesting, if you look at the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians is uh, full of contrasts. We see from chapters one through six that Paul, in penning this letter to the church at Ephesus, will uh, use contrasts in order to uh, communicate his message. Um, he will contrast uh, what we were before Christ, right? And then what we are now that we are in Christ Jesus. He will contrast the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we are made alive together in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will contrast how we are to see ourselves prior to coming to Christ, right? And now how we are to see ourselves as the beloved of God, accepted by God, and how we are to view uh, not only ourselves, but also how we are to view one another, how we are to view God. And so we see that this awareness of who we are and what Christ has done for us really impacts every area of our life and how we see God, ourselves, the world around us. And so Paul will use uh, these contra contrasts as a, as a tool to communicate truth uh, to this, this uh, area of Scripture. And it's interesting, he will talk about um, how we were under the power, uh, at one point, of a sin nature, right? How many were under the power of a sin nature one time, right? You started, your sole goal was fulfilling the lust of the flesh and the passions of life, but then you came to Christ and that, new na that old nature was done away with, right, because of the cross, but what ended up happening is we had learned a lot of stuff about our old ways, right? The thinking, the, the way in which we get through our lives, there's some change that needs to take place from now that we are in Christ Jesus. And so we recognize that, that I'm not what I was. Thank God for that, right? I'm not, I'm not where I want to be yet, and, and, but, but, and neither are you, right? But but I'm moving in that direction. I'm trusting Jesus to do what he uh, can do in me and through me, right? And that's sometimes a lot easier said than done. This, this transformation, this, this transition that takes place that we, we move from what we are, were to what we are now. But here's the thing. It's not that God isn't willing. There's no deficiency in God. It's not that God's not ready. So we're not, right? I mean, we're, we're, listen, I just want to go on record and say, I am the one that gets in the way of the sanctification process in my life every single time, right? My way of thinking, my ideas, my thoughts, my past, my feelings, my emotions, my agenda, it, it, it's every time I listen to me, it gets in the way of what God is able to do through me, right? And so there's no deficiency in God. There's no slowing it up in God. The if I'm not where, here, if, I, if you're not where you want to be in Christ, it's not because God isn't willing. It's because we get in the way, right? Now, you're here today because we're on that journey. That's what we're wanting for. We're wanting to see the transformation. We want to see, we want to honor God in the process. And so the first hurdle that we had to get through was 
obviously embracing our position in Christ, right? Knowing who we are in Christ to the degree that we really understand deep in our knower who we are in Christ is the way in which that knowledge will inform the way we live our lives, right? And so what we understand, what we believe impacts our actions. And we see that very clearly in the book of of, of Ephesians. The first three chapters really kind of pound that truth to us about who we are in Christ Jesus. You're not what you were. And the quicker we embrace our identity in Christ, the quicker that will impact our practices in the world as his disciples. And so the big question that begs to be answered for each and every one of us is this, how do we put in motion this new life in Christ? How, how, do we, how do we live the spirit-filled life? How do, we live the, how do we walk in love? How do we take all that we know about these practices in Christ that we've been unpacking these last number of weeks, how do we get this from, from, uh, from, from belief to action, right? That's kind of what we're all about. We want to we wanna get from where we are to where God wants us to be. So how do we do that? Well, here's the answer. It has everything to do with what you will allow to influence you. What will you allow to influence you? That's why Paul says to us, and this is what we looked at last week in Ephesians chapter five, how do we put in motion this new life in Christ? It has everything to do with what we allow to influence us. That's why Paul appeals to us to not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, Ephesians chapter five and verse 18, but be filled with the spirit, right? In other words, it's not just about drinking here. It's don't go after the vices of the world. Don't be influenced by the things of the world, but instead be influenced by the power of the Holy Spirit. This verse serves as a a center point, if you will, that helps us to see that our ultimate goal is to glorify God by having the abiding Holy Spirit within us empower us and, and influence us in such a way that we live our lives on earth like Jesus in such a way that it was as if Jesus is living his life through us. You know what we call that? A Christian. That's really what it is, right? And so it's this idea of how do we allow the Holy Spirit to influence us in such a way that it impacts every arena of life. And you see, here's the thing. Where does that influence take place? It takes place in relationships. It takes place in relationships. Everything, everything takes place on the playing field of relationship. That's the title of our message this morning, the playing field of relationship. Hey, you know, we we build people up and we tear them down on the field of relationship. Everything we do, every place we go, every dollar we spend, every emotional investment that we make takes place on the field of relationship. Think of it. What do you do that doesn't take place in the context of relationships? Look at your 24 hours a day, right? 
your, your marriage, your, your family, your friends, your, your work, your school, your college, your, your church, your, your neighbors, social media, sports. Everything that we do takes place on the playing field of relationships. And so the kind of impact that we will bring to our relationships has everything to do with what influences our lives. It, the impact is going to happen anyway, because everybody has some kind of a relationship, right? We all have relationships on all different levels, and we're all going to influence those relationships and, and be influenced in those relationships. And so how are we going to influence those relationships has everything to do with what we allow to influence us. The sum total of all of our relationships is what makes up our life. I mean, right down to our relationship with God. Right? In him we live and move and have our, our being. And what Paul is saying is, man, don't be influenced by wine. Don't be influenced by the vices of the world, but instead be influenced by the Spirit. And so if you could picture a playing field that we will call relationships, we, we need to understand that there's going to be two kinds of influences that are going to impact those relationships on the playing field of relationships. It's, it's going to be our new man, right? Who we are in Christ Jesus now, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's that one that will leave behind the, the fragrance of Christ and the playing field of relationships because that's who we are, right? So that's one influence or it's going to be us in our old ways that are self-preserving and self-centered and self-promoting. It's not going to be, it's not going to be any longer influenced by a sin nature because that's been done away with at the cross. But, but here's the thing. We will have been influenced by the things that we have learned in our sin nature the way we go about life, how we respond, how we react, how we do things. And as we'll see, in addition to being influenced by our ways from the past, our old, our old, our old man, we'll also see that we're influenced by principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of darkness because right after this whole section on relationships, Paul will go right into and connect what he just said to this next phase where he's going to say, now listen, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's relationships. That's people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. And so really, so here's the thing. Picture the playing field here, right? And so on one, every, everything we're going to do is we left on the field and we're going to make some influences. We're going to let our old man influence or we're going to let our new man influence us. And so the, the message of Ephesians is how our new life in Christ is reflected in the relationships or in the world around us, which is made possible how? By the abiding Holy Spirit that's in our lives. The abiding Holy Spirit. And so the task before the child of God is this. What are you going to allow to influence you? The Holy Spirit or self? The Holy Spirit or your past? The Holy Spirit or your insecurities? The Holy Spirit or your fears? The Holy Spirit or your 
wisdom of the world, the Holy Spirit, or your experience with the past. You see, here's the thing. We, we are who we are. We've been made up by, uh, obviously, a lot of the experiences from the past, but we need to make sure that all the things that have made us who we are today, good, bad, and ugly, we need to filter that through what the Holy Spirit says and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life and what the Word of God says. What are we going to allow to influence us? And so we see that what we saw last week is that, that Paul, in talking about the importance of being influenced by the Spirit, he presents some examples to us, right? Here's, here's the playing field. Here's where the Spirit-filled life is going to be most influential, and he's going to go to the section on relationships. And last week, we talked about the husband and wife relationship. And we saw how in the marriage relationship that it is incredibly important that we are filled with the Spirit of God, that we empty ourselves of ourselves. We saw the high call of God upon the husband to, to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I mean, that's got to move beyond poetic right, into practice. How in the world do I do that? We'll see later on. Paul will say, hey, husbands, listen, dwell with your wives with understanding. <laughs> Listen, sometimes it just doesn't, I don't get it, right? And, and, and the deficiency isn't on my wife. The deficiency is right here. I don't see like she does. I don't feel like she does. I don't, I don't think like she does. There's this, and so I, yet I am called to dwell with her with understanding. I am called to love her like Christ loved the church. Hey, I can dig real deep into the well of my, in, of my intellect and the deep well of my wisdom and my experiences, but I can guarantee you, I will never produce the kind of husband that my wife deserves. But if I will allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in my heart, and I will say, Holy Spirit, help me to love this woman in a way she deserves to be loved. Love this woman like she's your daughter. Help me to understand her, because God, I just don't know how to do that. Would you help me, right? There have been times I've knocked it out of the park, and it was like such a no-brainer, because God just gave me an idea that it didn't come from the reserve of my own well, but God wanting to love my wife through me allowed me to make impact. It's the same thing with wives, right? Hey, we need to honor and respect and, 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 and mutual, that, that submission piece. How do we love our husbands when he doesn't have a clue of what he's talking about sometimes, right? I mean, he doesn't understand it. How many times do I have to tell him time and time and time again? How do we find patience for that? How do we honor that, right? Well, if you deep, go deep into the well of your experience and your hurt and your pain and your wisdom, I guarantee you, you will not come up with being the kind of wife that your husband deserves. And so what we see here is a call for us to love one another and allow the Holy Spirit to be so filled with the Spirit of God, emptied of ourselves, so we can be to one another and for one another what God has designed for us to be. That's why I encourage every person, if you're not, if you're not married and you're a believer, do not marry someone who does not share the same commitment to Christ. That's why the scripture implores us to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers because here's the thing, you're gonna have different goals and it's gonna come out down the, down the road. In the beginning, it's all wonderful and good and you know, everybody's kind of like having this kumbaya moment, they're loving the emotions, but when it happens down the road and, and commitment needs to be happening, you wanna, be know, you wanna know that you are loving somebody who loves Jesus more than they love you 
because that's what's going to enable that husband, that wife, to love you the way you deserve. And that's what's going to enable you to love them the way they deserve. And so we see how dependent we are upon the spirit-filled life if we want marriage to fire in all cylinders the way God designed for it to be. And then likewise today we're going to continue in that same vein, Paul using another relationship, a critically important relationship that he will present to us in in Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 1. Let's take a look together. We're going to look at children and parents, and then we're going to look at employees and employers. Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Paul is is bringing to the forefront another very significant relationship, and and this is a really important one for us to consider, because if we got really honest, we'd have to admit that much of the way in which we raise our children has to do with how we, how, how we were raised when we were kids, right? Much of the way in which we influence our kids has a lot to do with the way in which we were influenced by our parents, who were influenced by their parents, who were influenced by their parents, and it's become like the way in which we've done things. And listen, in some cases, that's a wonderful thing. But in some cases, that's a train wreck right? There's some dysfunction in the past. There's, there's some, see, we didn't realize how dysfunctional it was back then, what we thought was normal, but hey, this is the way my parents always did it, so therefore, we put this in motion for them. And what Paul's saying is, no, 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 that's not how it goes here. That's not who you are anymore. You see, you, you're not raising you in the context of when you grew up. You're raising somebody else. You're raising a young man, a young woman to be what God wants them to be. And you don't have the reserves in the past to be for them what they need to be. And so you need to depend on me to equip you to be the kind of parent that you need to be. It's interesting how he starts off here with um, children obey your parents because um, he starts with the importance of how a child is to respond to a parent. Children, obey your parents. And everybody said, amen, Amen, right? He starts with the importance of how a child is to respond to a parent. But let me point out something, that, that the primary audience to whom Paul is writing this is not children. It's parents. It should be silly to think that, that, that the only way our children can come to the realization that God wants them to obey us is that one day they happen to be thumbing through Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, and they go, whoa. I didn't know this is what I was supposed to do, right? I'm sure Paul wasn't thinking this is going to be the way in which our kids are going to learn. No, I mean, some of them don't start reading until they're like 18 years old, right? And so could you imagine if we wait that long for them to, no, this wasn't, they, obviously it's directed, it's indirectly towards the kids, but this is directed towards the parents and saying, listen, it's your job to teach them how to obey. It is your job to teach them how to obey. It's very interesting here. You see, we live, we live in a day where, where parents, unfortunately, are more concerned with being friends with their kids than being parents. And, and, and I hope to be friends with my kids. I want them to like me, but that's, not my, that's never been my primary goal, right? We're called to teach them to obey us. 
we're called to teach them to honor us. And you see, every time we, we bring our role down to their level, thinking that's going to connect with them, we are giving up our ability to teach them how to obey and how to honor. I think every one of us kind of know the significance of, of why we want to teach our children to obey us, right? I mean, we realize that if they, if they, don't, if they don't learn how to obey us, they're not going to obey their teachers, they're not going to obey their, their, their bosses, they're not going to obey authorities, then ultimately they're not going to obey, obey God either, right? But it doesn't just say that we are to teach them to obey us. It says that we're to teach them to honor us, to honor us. And you know, I think honor is something that's really getting lost in our culture today. Because we, you know what, we, we, we're very familiar with us, ourselves, and sometimes we, we don't want our kids to feel like, oh, you know, we're so guilty about our past sometimes and the mistakes that we made that we think, oh, I, I don't really have much that's very honorable. And so we allow the bar to stay really, really low. But here's the thing, teaching your child how to honor you has nothing to do with you. It has to do with equipping your child on how and the importance of honoring you. Because if they don't learn how to honor you, they will not honor their teachers. They will not honor authority. They will not honor God. That means that you don't let your children get away with disrespecting you. Say, well, he just, he just had a bad day. Everybody has a bad day. So if he has a bad day in front of the police officer, you think that police officer doesn't let them get away with it? Right? You can't let them get away with disrespect. You, you can't get, let them away, get away with not being considerate towards you. You don't let them get away with, with, with not caring about you. You teach them to honor you. Listen, not so that you can feel good about yourself. This isn't about you. It's really not. It's about equipping them to do what is necessary to do for them to succeed in life and in godliness obedience and honoring, authority and God. This is what we have, and you know, parents, we have a very small window of time to teach that, right? And what Paul is saying is, man, you, you, you need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to do that. The, how, have you, how, there, are, there are times that we have a plan for our own kid's life. Here's what they should do. Here's how they should act. And you see, here's the problem. What we oftentimes do in raising our children is we pull from the deep reserves of our well and we put, them on, we put on them the things that we think they should do. But what if that's not what God wants them to do? You see, if you start to, if you start to um, discipline them and disciple them or influence them the way you've been influenced, what if that's not the way that's going to effectively impact them. You see, we desperately need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to equip us and inform us on how to best influence our kids to point them to Jesus. Now, hey man, I'll be the first one in, and my kids will all amen this. I blow it. There's times that I just mess up. There's times that I won't do this right. And, and I've got to go. I'll, I'll pull from the deep reserves of my own well and vomit all over everybody, right? But I think they'd agree that more often than not, I always come back and say, you know what? Daddy was wrong. Daddy responded out of fear. Daddy responded out of pride. 
I was, I was really wrong about the way that I reacted to what you did, and, and, and that, that was not the way I should have spoken to you, and, and, I, and I'm really sorry, and I, and, I, and I repented to God. I'm asking your forgiveness, and, and, but now let me tell you about the consequences of what's gonna happen about what you did do wrong. You see, we don't let him off the hook because we messed up, right? We, we regroup and say, okay, now, now Daddy messed up. Get forgiveness. Here's why you're grounded. Here's, here's why the consequences are gonna get followed through because I love you and it's my job to disciple you. It's my, charge, my job to discipline you, right? And so, hey, do we do that right all the time? Of course not. <clears throat> but we're striving for that. That's what we're leaning on the Holy Spirit to accomplish in us and, and through us. It says here, he says, um, to the parents and specifically the father, he, um, which is traditionally um, the disciplinary. And actually, let me back up here first. For, let me just address the children here. Um, if you're a child and you're listening here today, very interesting, the only command in the scripture that's directed towards you is this one. Children, obey your parents. Right? It's the only one. So that you might have a long life. So you don't get, you don't get taken out. <laughs> right? You want to live? I brought you into this world. I'll take you out, right? But it's the only, it's the only, uh, it's the only command to, to our children, right? And so, we, and, and, and so if you're a child, I want to encourage you to make sure that you're obeying your parents. Now, if you don't understand something, it's okay to ask them, not in an antagonistic way, right? Like, well, why in the world do we live? You know, we all know that, right? But in a way that, truly wants to understand. I want to encourage you to honor your parents. Young person, when was the last time you allowed your parents to feel honored by you? It's really important. You, you learn to do that now, and you'll succeed in all areas of relationship and in life. And then to the parents, and as I said before, specifically to the father, which is traditionally the disciplinarian, but again, as we saw last week, Paul is speaking to the husband as the head of the home. And so to the head of the home, he says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Notice the contrast here. He says, don't provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up. Provoking brings them down. Discipline, loving, godly, spirit-filled discipline brings them up. Nothing will cause your child to lose respect for you more than when you attack them and provoke them in an ungodly way. Discipline, and if you don't end, the other thing they'll lose respect for is if you don't discipline them. Parent, God did not give you your child just to make your life easier. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you that. no kidding, right? But they, they're not there just to serve you. They're not there to be your slave, to do just the things that you don't want to do. He has tr- entrusted you with your child to discipline them, which is where we get the word disciple from, to discipline them in the instruction of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have responsibilities around the house that you need to hold them to, right? But it means that you teach them the why and how to be responsible because you're discipling them. Because you're, you've got a call of God upon your life for a small season of time to influence them. And we must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. As I said before, we, have all, we all have had different experiences and different examples growing up. We all had 
different ways of being disciplined. And sometimes, especially years ago, it was harsh and cold. And we need, to be, we need to be intentional about making sure that we don't carry over from the well of our past, but we need to filter discipline through a spirit-filled life. Because here's the thing. God knows your child better than you ever will. God knows what they need better than you ever will. You might have a plan for your life, but you got their life, but you need to make sure that that's what God's plan for their life is. Now, how do we do that? We rely upon the Holy Spirit. We prayerfully ask God, God, help us to know how to train our child up in the way they should go. Where should they spend their energies? Where should they grow? How, you know, it, it, it is depend, it's, it's letting go of what we think is the best idea and asking God to fill us with what his heart is for our children. That's why it's so important. The Spirit-filled life relies on the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom, the sensitivity, the awareness, and the insight on how to best raise our children. There's been times that I've wanted to do, do things out of um, retaliation for things that my kids have done. I know it's hard to believe that they ever did anything that would require that, but I just remember one point that I wanted to do something, I won't mention what it is, but I had an idea on how I would best get my point across to, to one of my sons, and I had a very clear plan to do this, and it was like the Holy Spirit just stopped me and said, you will, it's like you are going to make him feel extremely exposed when you do that. Don't you dare do that. And it was like, it was just a great, and I just, I just stepped back. And when we, when we talked about it, and they came back and they said, man, I'm so glad you didn't do that because you got to tell you, that would have been the worst thing that could possibly happen. I didn't pull from my deep well of intellect to come up with that idea. That was the Holy Spirit loving my kids so much and be willing to listen and be an extension of the Holy Spirit ministering to my child. We must be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Let's continue. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. Let's move on to employees and employers, bond servants and bond slaves. Uh, verse 5, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Imagine going to a job interview and that was what was on the wall as you walked in, right? Bondservants, you will obey your masters with fear and trembling. But that's what Paul says. Obey your masters, your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. How? As you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this, will receive, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. Bond servants. Some translations will say bond slaves. This is one of those words that really kind of gets lost in our culture today. But really, what a bond slave was or a bond servant was, was somebody who was a servant to somebody by choice. And so that's obviously, that, that, that's a direct parallel to the employee that is there by choice. Now, listen, you might feel like a slave, 
right? You might feel like you don't have a choice. You might feel like you're stuck. But listen, you have this wonderful ability to leave your job. You're not there by mandate or by command, right? You're there by choice. And Paul is instructing the new man, the one who's the spirit-filled person, on how they are to conduct themselves at work. I have a lot of friends that own businesses, and I know the one thing that they struggle with the most is trying to find employees that would have the audacity to do such hard things like show up to work. <laughs> like coming on time. Like actually doing what they're paid to do. Like not bringing all of the baggage from their world into the workplace. It's the hardest thing to, for an employer to find somebody that they don't have to watch every single moment to see what they're doing. It gets extremely frustrating. And what, what Paul is saying is, man, you and I who are spirit-filled, you who, are, who might be an employee, we need to recognize that we have to do our job with excellence as unto the Lord. Sometimes the employees forget that, that they work for the boss. They tend to think they are the boss, right? And so, so when the boss asks them to do something, they actually think that's a time to discuss whether it should get done, right? Is this a negotiable thing? Listen, if your boss is asking you to do something and it's not violating your conscience or the law and causing you to sin, you ready for this? You do it because he's the boss and you're not the boss, right? And you do it not with a bad attitude, but you do it with a sincere heart as unto the Lord. That's what, now sometimes that's real hard to pull up from the well of our past because we've been taken advantage of. You've been, you've been hurt, you've been wounded, your expectation, but we gotta let go of that and say, God, how would you want me to respond in this situation? Because here's what I've learned. There are times that God will allow you to get so frustrated on the job, so angry at something, so whatever. And you, you know that feeling where stuff starts to come to the top and you're thinking, I just, I just might want to kill somebody. Like this is real. Like, that, so here's the thing. What's the bigger problem? What's going on around you or what's coming up inside of you? Right? If what's going on around you is causing a murderous spirit to come up inside of you, you probably have, you have a wonderful opportunity for God, the Holy Spirit to say, you think we should work on this? I, I know what they said. I know how you felt. But see, here's the thing. If they didn't say that and they didn't do that to you, then this wouldn't have come up. And I figured the best way to highlight to you what's going on in your own heart is I'm going to let you get frustrated on the job a little bit. You see, that is not a default setting. Well, our first response is they shoot, we shoot back. But a spirit-filled life takes a moment of pause and says, God, what do I need to learn here? God, maybe I'm just being really prideful here. God, I, I'm very entitled here. God, I, I, I'm, I'm taking advantage of my employer. Whatever, whatever it may be, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to inform us so that it changes the way we practice and live out our faith. Not with eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. And he says, look, doing the will of God from the heart. Isn't that awesome? That means if God has placed you on the job that he is, it's his will for you to do your job. You say, well, the boss wants me to do this. Let me pray about it. You don't have to pray about what God said to do. If it's not causing you to violate your conscience, it's not causing you to sin or break the law, do your job. That's the will of God. 
Work as if God is your boss. Do it with joy, with excellence. Do it when he or she is looking or not looking because your real master sees everything and he, re- he rewards accordingly. Now, I know that's, as I said, it's much easier said than done, but when the heat gets turned up and the emotions begin to flare up, it's time to empty ourselves of ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us. And so here's the thing. You're going to go to work this week if you're working somewhere, and, and you're going to have an opportunity to put this to practice very soon. And you're going to remember this face saying, take a step back and ask the Holy Spirit what's really going on here, right? Honor them. Respect, care, excellence, honesty. This is what the spirit-filled employee is to bring to the workplace. To the employer, Paul says this, masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. Look what he says. Do the same to them. Honor, respect, care, excellence, honesty. In other words, model what you expect to be a recipient of. Model what you expect to be a recipient of. Don't just use your authority to invoke fear and threats, but see your employees as people that God has entrusted into your care to influence them with Christ, the fragrance of Christ. You say, I, but we just gotta, we gotta get a job to get done. Listen, you are, you are a Christian first and you're an employer second. And when that is in proper balance, the job will get done better than ever before. How you treat your employees will reveal how much you've truly been influenced by Christ or not. I love what Paul says here. He says, knowing this, he says, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with them. Right? In other words, don't, don't, it's not like this. That's not how God sees it. You're both serving God. You both have the same master. And so when God sees you, he sees it like this and there's no partiality. And so you treat that person the way you want to be treated and don't see yourself as better than just in a different role than them. Now, sometimes, listen, sometimes those employees, they're going to take advantage, right? Sometimes they're, they're going to exhaust your generosity. They are, going to, they are going to work on your final nerve, right? They are not going to represent you well. They're not going to represent your organization well, right? But the spirit-filled believer, the spirit-filled employer will lean upon the Holy Spirit on how to best respond in that situation and let you know, here's the best way to can them. Because sometimes you got to let them go, right? But here's the thing. Before we just pull that from our, our repertoire of here's how we do things, we pause and we say, Lord, what do, we need to, what do we need to address here? Because sometimes, if we got real honest, the frustration we're seeing with our employees is because of the culture that we've created. And so it's not their problem. It's our problem. It's a lot easier to point at them than it is to point at us. Sometimes the employee needs to get fired. Sometimes they, 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 need, to be, they need to be coached up. 
right? Sometimes they got to go. Sometimes they got to grow. Every situation is going to be different. But if we respond the same way we always have, then we're not going to be able to see God at work in that area of our lives. All takes place on the playing field of relationships, this spirit-filled life, this new life, empowered, influenced, and filled with the Holy Spirit will impact the field of relationships all to the glory of God. That's the goal. But there's another force seeking to influence There's another force that that doesn't want us to lean on the Holy Spirit, that doesn't want us to bring unity and harmony, but instead wants to tear things up, instead wants to bring division, wants to bring discord on this playing field of relationships. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age, and they will seek to cause havoc on the playing field relationship. And that's why Paul says, don't be influenced, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And we're going to begin this journey of discovering how what has always been perceived as spiritual warfare is nothing more than tools on how to live the Spirit-filled life on the playing field of relationships. It all ties together all throughout Ephesians. That's why we can't pick out little pieces of passage to kind of make it look, it's all woven together. And that's what we're gonna take a look at next week. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for how practical it is. Um, And Lord, thank you for your grace to accomplish um, what we need to do. Lord, would you help us to um, yield to you so that um, we would be more concerned about what you're doing in us than what's all that's going on around us. Lord, we want to be a better reflection of Jesus in the world today, and we recognize that the only way that's going to happen is to be filled with the Spirit. And so, Lord, would you, um, would you uh, just continue to make that real to us each and every day so that Jesus might be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.